Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the World, your weekly celebration of all things New Jersey. Everything, every angle we can think of it from. We're celebrating this insane state. This just ludicrous, strange, beautiful, wonderful, completely ridiculous place. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, some things I got brewing. If you're a fan of my comedy and New Jersey, you're going to want to keep an eye on my Instagram. I think this week I'm going to be announcing a thing that's ridiculous and that you will probably all like if you're listening to this show. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We also want to say congratulations to our friend and one of the Gagoots, Don Finelli, on the birth of his son. Am I going to air out my friend Don on this one? Yeah, because I'm excited for him, and I know the rest of Jersey will be as well. Got another crown prince of New Jersey born into this world. Congrats, Don. Much love to you and Laura and Joni and everybody, and I'll shut up now. Stop being... Stop being so schmaltzy and sentimental. Okay, everybody. Uh, last month, we debuted Talking Totowa. This was with our friend, the great comedian Nick Fierro. You got to follow Shtick Fierro on all the platforms. Talking Totowa, episode two. We talk about the Route 46 ecosystem. It's a great one. You're going to enjoy it. Nick's the best. Support him. You're going to laugh your ass off at this one. Thanks, everybody. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the World, and this is episode two of Talkin' Totowa, our newest series in which I talk to my friend Nick Fierro, who's a Jersey City-based comedian who grew up in Totowa, who, as we traveled around this country together doing comedy shows, I came to realize Totowa is culturally insular and unique, and some might even say strange in a way that I needed a native to explain, and he was willing to do this show. And if you listened to our first episode, it was great. If you have not, I mean, you got to hear about, you know, the houses that overlook an orphanage, which overlooks a graveyard, which overlooks a polluted river. You got to hear about out-of-control bus drivers trying to murder kids on buses. There's all sorts of stuff. Waving Joe. There's all sorts of things you need to go back and listen to. And I'm very happy we're here. Episode two. Nick, uh, how are you feeling about this series that I've dragged you into? How are you feeling in general? (laughs) I'm feeling pretty good about it. I mean, it's weird. It's weird trying to talk about something that's that you don't think like you don't know it's weird until you start talking about it to other people and then they're like what did you just say like i i never really thought it was a strange place growing up but i don't think anybody does until they kind of take a step back and look at it yeah um yeah, i feel good did, did a, um a few people reached out like uh that i might like not people that i knew directly but people that knew people that i knew kind of thing so that was kind of cool um yeah it was kind of neat and when you, when people reach out from Toto, I feel like Toto is a town where people might reach out and be like, oh, that was really funny to relive some of the old days. Also might be a town where people reach out and go, hey, why are you talking to outsiders? No, no, there's no, it's not that. None of that yet. It's not that weird. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, no, it's fine. I, um, I'm pretty sure my family was like, why are you, what, what is this? <laughs> but I think they get it. I think they get it now. But I think initially they're like, you, you're okay. Let's see where this goes. I love it. With a sort of like curious acceptance. Now, we don't plan these. We just nail down dates and times, and we figure it out from there. I have a topic I wanted to start with that could be a whole episode. It might be a springboard to other conversations. Sure. I wanted to pitch this to you. I, I said beforehand, I'll just throw it at you when we're on the air. Sure. So I'm of the belief that there's a lot of sort of mini cultural ecosystems all over this state and that it's really densely packed together and that sometimes they just smash into each other, but that they're, you know, if a sociologist went through with a fine tooth comb, they'd find all these little mini ecosystems. And sometimes that can be defined by a geographic feature, like a river leads to the whole culture of like uh, Lambertville and Frenchtown and all those, that sort of hundred and county stretch where it's all these little artsy towns that, that live along the Delaware River, right? The river defines. Sometimes you might find a railroad track that comes to define a little mini ecosystem. Famously in Newark, the Ironbound is a neighborhood known as the Ironbound because it's bordered by a bunch of railroad tracks and they carved out specific neighborhood and it built to a community and the old timers call it down neck 
but people who've been there since the train tracks came in call it iron bound. It's bound by iron. So there's these little mini ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Now, I also think that a highway in New Jersey can very often define an ecosystem. Oh, yeah. And big time. <laughs> I would say that Route 46 itself has multiple ecosystems along Route 46. And I think Totowa is right in the heart of one of them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to you to get your opinion on exactly what the borders of that are. You're already nodding your head. Mm -hmm. You see where I'm going with this. Your gears are turning. Oh, yeah. I'm happy. I would argue that there's a little mini cultural ecosystem. That, and when I was thinking about it leading up today, today, I would say Toto is right in the center of this little cultural stretch that stretches from, and you can correct me where I'm wrong. Okay. I would say it goes from where the Six Brothers Diner used to stand up to somewhere in Fairfield on the far side of the Willowbrook Mall, just west of the Target. I would say that that is one cultural stretch of New Jersey, and I'd love your opinions on where I might be right or wrong about this, but I'm onto something here, right? You are abs absolutely, and I'm glad you... I was worried to stray too far geographically from Totowa in a few things I jotted down, and I was looking, I was like, oh man, you're already taking so many things are like just beyond its border, but like kind of insulating us or a little bit. Well, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think Six Brothers is probably where it starts. Because Six Brothers, when you're, you know, it's probably five to ten minutes from Totowa. And then as you go, I will put Jose Tejas as the dividing line. <laughs> once you're once you're past Tejas, it is 46 changes identity real quick. 46 goes from a highway to just a road. There's a I think there's an Ashley furniture and there used to be a store called Futon World. And then you're literally on the moon. There's nothing there's nothing past it. As a as a kid, you would drive it and just to see what's out there. I remember driving 46 for an hour. Uh, you know, and you get out to like over by Bud Lake and stuff. And, and yeah, it's just a completely different place. You're right. I'd say Tejas to Six Brothers. Or or if you want to go the other side of the highway, Great Notch. Uh, well, I was is, going to ask, that was going to be one of my first questions, oh, which yeah. is, does the destruction of the Six Brothers Diner, which again, we've mentioned, there used to be a stretch. And you can see these circles because you could also argue that Six Brothers used to be the border on the other side of the Six Brothers to Park West to TikTok mm -hmm. diner triumvirate, probably the most powerful diner triumvirate in New Jersey with three pretty good diners to great diners, depending on who you ask uh -huh. all in one little stretch. Um, Six brothers used to be a major cog in that as well. Part of another ecosystem simultaneously. So we should also say Tejas, Jose Tejas. My family used to live in Fairfield. You used to work at the Jose Tejas. Oh yeah. It's making me giggle so hard that you're just casually dropping Tejas as if this is something everyone would know. Um, Jose Teos is a, I think, a chain restaurant, but there's almost no other franchises left except that one, I think. I think the one in Woodbridge is still there, and if you go outside New Jersey, there's like two or three more, and they're called Border Cafe, but they couldn't call it Border Cafe in New Jersey because there was already a My place called that. first question is, the destruction of the Six Brothers Diner, does this now mean that the Great Notch Inn is the eastern border of this ecosystem? It has it for all, it, man, it is take, I don't know, it's almost like the, the guy's house from up, the Disney movie because everything around it is just getting bulldozed and dynamited. And they've literally built a road around great notch and it's still standing there. He lost his shed. He had a shed for years that had the American flag painted on that got, I guess, imminent domain took that, uh, but that place is still there and there's still ice in the urinals and it's, there's not as many bikes out front on Sundays anymore, but that place is still there and I will pop in whenever I can. That is now that that's the. Line. I'm getting very excited about this episode because I feel like there's a, a bunch of places in this stretch that I've always had questions about, and I feel like you spent your whole high school life just back driving back that stretch of road. I will say my 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 trifecta for the diners though. Mine was always uh, Six Brothers, Park West, and uh, Versailles which is now West Essex Diner. The West Essex Diner. Versailles was my family diner for many years when we lived in Fairfield, and there were multiple Easters where we ate at the Versailles Diner on Easter, wow. which as an Irish Catholic family, largely non-practicing, but still tells you the esteem we held that diner in. And some of the people from those days are still working there. That's I got to stop by and see if it's just as good. Also, one of my proudest moments was I once watched a scene from The Sopranos where they were in a diner, and when it came up, I was like, that's the Versailles. And I knew from the type of frosted glass tops at the tops of the booths. I could tell, and I was right. Mm -hmm. Great Notch Inn. I've been there exactly one time. 
You will not be shocked to hear it was on my 21st birthday. Tells you a lot about how it went. It was one of a number of bars that Mark and Mark from Weird New Jersey took me to. Um, it's always seemed to be a bit of a biker bar from the outside. You'll often see bikes out there. The neon signage is great. It is something of the cockroach of New Jersey. And I say that in a positive way in the sense of that stretch of road has been constantly under construction and cliffs being blasted. And no matter what, that place is still standing. Mm -hmm. When you grow up in Totowa and the surrounding towns, uh, the Passaic Valley High School towns, so to speak, what is your relationship with the Great Notch Inn? Um, I so I, I growing up watching movies and like I don't I, I just always kind of romanticized bars as like hangouts and cultural hubs and stuff like that. So like when I was younger, I could not wait to go to Great Notch. I was just like, that's going to be my fantasized about just, that's going to be my bar. I'll, I'll get my, you know, my dirty coat, elbows on the bar kind of thing. Um, and I wound up hanging out there a little bit when I was in my early 20s, only to find that most of the clientele were teachers from Montclair State. <laughs> like a lot of teachers from Montclair State and a lot of bartenders from Clifton, like dingoes and dingbats, were just hanging out there all the time. So I mean, for, I was 21, they were probably in their 40s and we would hang out, I'd see them on Tuesdays. Like we would just go, we always got together on Tuesdays because there was like free music at night and we would just hang out. And the bartender, I think is the owner, looked like Diesel from WWE, um, just this big dude in like a red flannel shirt who was in, the bar was in a movie called Winter Winter Passing. Winter Passing? Zoe Deschanel, Will Farrell, and I think it's Ed Harris and it's not a comedy. And she like has to go back home to live with her dad, who Ed Harris is like her crazy kind of father, and Will Farrell's like his caretaker, and it's not a comedy. And she hangs out at Great Notch, and the actual bartender in the movie is the was the owner bar. I think the owner bartender uh, in real life. I love knowing that there's all sorts of shit I get to ask you about because here's when I say ecosystem, here's a thing that's very important for all our listeners to know. There's stretches of roads that I drive where I could tell you anything you need to know about. All those businesses, people who have lived along that way, local lunatics and characters. But there's other stretches of New Jersey that I drive where I'm well aware this is a version of that for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I love knowing that it was on some level that for you. So I want to ask you all the questions I've had driving through there, which is, for example, I think it's gone now and it bums me out. There was that candy barn that candy store, do you remember that? I remember Nagel's on 23. Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? You think of Nagel's on 23, that place was awesome, and it is sadly gone. And it was right there smashing up into this type of place, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Was it as good as it seemed? Um, I'd say to this day, uh, the best non-parels you'll ever get, and sadly, you can't compare them to anything else now because you, you can't get them. But they're a very good candy store, family-run forever. And it was right by, um, it was right by Sand Exchange which is like one of the best record shops in North Jersey. Absolutely. Oh yeah. That was on route 23 in Wayne, my bad. But that, that is another part of this ecosystem that it yeah. is right where 80, 23 and 46 tangle up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's also another companion, um, to living in this area that I have to ask about right by the candy barn mm -hmm. was another business that when I was a kid, cause we would go to the Willowbrook mall sometimes mm -hmm. Livingston was our home mall. But if we wanted to go to the arcade, we'd go to fun and games, which I'm sure you have had mm -hmm. many a night at, if we needed, you know, sports authority was over there, uh, let alone if we just wanted to go to a bigger, cooler mall. But we would often pass this thing when you were heading up 23 North. It was the Hooters on the left. Mm -hmm. That Hooters probably has an outsized influence on Totowa kids compared to where I grew up. But on the right, there was a wooden building that I believe was a paintball store. Yeah. And I remember thinking if I grew up to, if I grew up this close to a paintball store, man, would paintball have a bigger impact in my life? Yeah, so it's weird. There's a couple paintball st shops. There's an airsoft paintball place right off Union Boulevard or right off um, Riverview Drive. There's that one that's gone. And then there was Sports Authority that turned basically into a paintball store before it went under. But there's nowhere to play in Totowa. So like you could get all this stuff, but then you're still just in the suburbs. You'd have to go into the woods and the construction sites, which were slowly disappearing. And if you wanted to play, like you were basically like traipsing through mud and farm equipment if you wanted to, to hurt each other. It was cool. Were there a lot of kids who owned a lot of paintball gear that they didn't use that much? Was that a factor growing up where you did? Definitely more my brother's generation because my parents were not yes. too keen on me having any of that and it was expensive. And most of my friends, for lack of a better term, were inside kids. Like we liked 
Pantera and wrestling and like playing music and <laughs> that kind of stuff. So we weren't, we weren't in the woods shooting each other. Um, my brother and all his friends growing up were all about airsoft and paintball and stuff like that. Like they, I know about it through them. Got it. Like I remember going to buy CO2 cartridges and ammo for him and playing with his stuff when I was like, you know, hanging out with him. Okay. But definitely not, not my, not my guys so much. Have to ask about this one. Mm. Now in Little Falls, mm. right in the stretch we're talking about, there is a trophy store. Oh, Tally store. And there were two. I was just gonna say, am I misremembering this or did there used to be two trophy stores directly across the highway from each other? Little well, Falls I, trophy well, on one side and the other one's gone. Tally's trophy on the other. Was there a trophy war in the Passaic Valley area of this generation? Why two trophy stores that close together? I've never seen a trophy store anywhere else. And they had two right there. That was the trophy district of New Jersey. I literally have a plaque on my wall right now that was made at Tally's trophy in the early or late 80s. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 89. Um, that I definitely belonged to my dad and I just kind of took it. <laughs> Do we have any idea why those trophy stores were directly across the same highway from each other? I don't know how to make this make sense to the rest of the world. Totowa is a town that needs two trophy stores. <laughs> there's so much, there's so many little league intramural softball, so many sports being played, so many games being played. Uh, the end of, I, I was a camp counselor in Totowa for 11 years. There were ribbons and awards and everything. It's just, like you said, it's a small insular town. You need a reason to celebrate. Any reason to celebrate, you're going to get a trophy. And it's going to be from one of these two crazy guys. I don't know the story about if there was a feud or not. And I don't ever want to know the truth because it can't possibly be as interesting as it is in my head where it's like a Hatfield-McCoy type thing. Yeah. I don't know who's first. And I love that they're across the highway Directly. from each other. For anyone who doesn't remember this, you could be standing at the counter of one, making angry eye contact with the person at the counter of the other across <laughs> many lanes of traffic. Did you ever go inside? No, I never went inside either one. You better have a reason. Like you can't <laughs> browse. You can't go in there not knowing what you want. And there's a lot of places like that. There's, <laughs> yeah, um, I've been inside Tally's Trophy. I was never, the one across the street I never really uh, went with. I was always going east. <laughs> I was on my way home. I never needed a trophy, but heading out of town, yeah, absolutely. I think one of them is a travel agency or a tattoo shop now. I'm not sure. Um this has become, this is everything I was hoping. I'm so happy to hear. Cause I remember we'd drive through it and it would always be a thing of like <laughs> two trophy stores. Mm. And then one day one of them was gone and I was left forever to wonder if I had imagined the whole thing. No, there was but I'm glad to hear I hadn't. Yeah. One, there's, there's only room for one now. It's okay. Other things I've wanted to ask you or anyone from this area about, and I'm so glad we're friends so I can ask you. So when you take, I believe if you're heading on 46 East, there's an exit that I, I believe is for Lower Notch Road. Yes. And if I remember right, there is a train station there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen trains pull in and out of that station. I've driven by. I've never seen a car in the parking lot. I've never seen a human being get on or off a train at that train station. Am I crazy? Uh, I have been there at night. <laughs> hanging out as you do. I've definitely been, there was a parking lot where you like, no one could, no one could like, you weren't going to get, um, intruders. If you were just, Hey, you need a place to hang out. You sit in the back of your car, you pop the trunk, you're hanging out, you listen to music. It, you wouldn't see anybody. And it was, I remember this vividly where like, same as you, I like, I never remember people getting on or off. There were almost no cars in the parking lot. And, people did get out there, but when they did, it was almost like a movie where if you weren't paying attention and then you turned around, you would just see a few dozen people just shuffling towards you at night silently, like a zombie movie almost. What? Well, the train, for some reason, you, uh, I don't know whether it, the way the station was, was situated by the parking lot, but I remember hanging out by my car once and there's no one around and it's just me and a couple of buddies hanging out and we turn around and there's just people slowly walking towards us at night. Yeah. And yeah, it's jarring. Um, and same, same thing where it, I don't know how it's, how it's possible that a train could stop and people could get out and you wouldn't notice, but yeah, a couple times. Another, I'm going to pepper you with some questions and then we'll see where it goes. So another question I've always had about this area, there's a very weird thing, which is it comes up on the show all the time because of us being West Orange guys, but Montclair has gravity to it. The town of Montclair has a lot of gravity. It's a cultural center point for the area. It's kind of one of the anchors that you can point to as towns that have the indie movie theater where bands might stop and play sometimes, where you can find the Montclair Book Center, where you can find, you know, these sorts of things that we know. 
Now, Montclair State University, I've always been very interested in this. I've never talked to anybody about it. Montclair State is a big part of the town, but it's very far away from all that. And in fact, there's exits from the Montclair State campus where you're almost immediately in Clifton. Yeah. And you're almost immediately right on this stretch of Route 46 that we're talking about, like dorms backed up to Route 46, athletic fields on the campus property. What's the relationship of these towns with Montclair State? Other than me, well, other than the fact that like a lot of people from my high school either went to William Patterson Montclair State just because they're the closest and me hanging out with some of the teachers at the Great Notch. Um, I don't know. I, I think just a lot of people in that in, in Totoa just went to those schools. But like, it, it is weird. If you get off of 46 in Totoa, there's signs that say like William Patterson University that way. And I'm like, William Patterson's like 20 minutes away from here. You have to, yeah. you have to get across two or three towns to get to it. But for some reason, um, yeah, there's signs, there's signage for it everywhere you go on those stretches of road. Because I don't, I mean, I think it's maybe a claim to fame. Like we're near two universities. Like why not? Why not? Uh, you know, showboat a little bit. Say, look at look at this. We got some higher education going on. Do kids try to sneak into parties at at the two colleges when you're still in high school? If college kids are out and about, are you townies that fuck with the college kids? You were asking the wrong guy about going out to parties in high school. <laughs> I was. I, if it was a Saturday night and I was not at the Wayne Firehouse or Skaters World. Then I was home. These are, of course, places to watch punk rock shows. Were, yes, uh, or or working at Willowbrook. But I was not. A, I did not. I think I went to one party in high school. Uh, I definitely didn't ever crash a um, college party. But I will say this: in my in my early twenties scumbag days, me and my buddies would go to part. Would go to Six Brothers. That was our diner. We'd go to Six Brothers and we would pop the back. I had a, I had a old minivan. I would pop the back of that. And we would just literally drink such, I, saying it out loud now seems insane. Me and like seven or eight of my buddies would just drink a case of warm beer in the parking lot of Six Brothers. And then when we were done, we'd go inside and get eggs <laughs> and just fries and just eat. And we'd play wiffle ball in the parking lot. And to, for, to this day, for the life of me, I have no clue how we never got arrested, how we never got into really too many fights. But on occasion, some kids would come into Montclair State because we're all kind of like kids in like metal shirts, long hair, kind of crazy. We would, we got stuff chucked at us a couple times. But I knew I knew that if a car full of guys throws something at you, um, you're just lucky that they keep driving. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Where some of my friends would like chase a car that threw a full Pepsi at them. I'm like, you're going to get us all killed. We were playing wiffle ball and drinking beers and you're 5'3". Like, you're, we're not we're not fighting these guys. We're not prepared at all. But yeah, that um, that's the only interaction I really ever had with Montclair State. Other than the ice rink, I think I went to watch like a hockey game. Mm -hmm, or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is great to know. The image of... Drinking a case of beer and playing wiffle ball in the parking lot of the Six Brothers Diner sounds to me, I can say unironically, that is the type of heaven you can get in this state that I've chased that feeling. Also, I will say this, this is pre-cell phone. All the time. <clears throat> so just to show you what this stretch road was capable of, if it was a Friday night and I had nothing to do, I would drive around 46, 23, and just until I found where my friends were, whether they were hanging out the Quick Check parking lot, in Little Falls or the 7-Eleven on 23 or Six Brothers or Park West. I would literally just drive until I saw someone's car. If I saw someone's car, I'd go inside. And then I'd, if they had a table with room, I would, I would sit with them. There was no, it was all guesswork. The drive around until you find your friends is a lost art that teens of New Jersey now don't have to deal with. And it probably makes their lives easier, but so much more boring. For us, it was, you're probably going to wind up doing some laps up and down Route 10 you're probably going to be checking a whole bunch of parking lots at the South Mountain Reservation if you grew up where I did. Um, and then depending on which part of town you went to and which friends you were rolling with, there was a stretch where it was, let's go down Bloomfield Ave through Montclair as far as Willie's and the Nevada Diner in Bloomfield and check for people there, hang out there. Um, but yes, hearing that that was your stretch, that it wasn't just that you were playing wiffle ball in the Six Brothers parking lot. It's that... At some point in the night, someone got that case of beer and just went to that parking lot and then like moths to a flame, mm -hmm. other weirdos just showed up. Those nights were magic. And also a very underrated thing that I wonder what type of impact this is going to have on future generations. That was also how you sometimes became friends with a jock. Yeah. Or where you found out that a girl who you grew up with, who you never really talked to, who you thought was like a mean girl, was funny as shit. Because sometimes they'd just be bored and show up in the parking lot too. And now 
things are more organized and planned than that. And that's a shame. Yeah. That's how you found out who the cool jocks were, who were going to protect you from the rest of the jocks. Yeah. It was kind of a, like, there was a knowing nod where if you saw, saw somebody at six brothers at three 30 in the morning, there was some kind of connection there where it's like, all right, where are you coming from? We all have, we all have school in the morning We're we're 17. Yeah. Like, what are you doing out right now? And it was also a place where like a guy who was a nightmare at a show, a guy who at the Wayne firehouse is just roundhouse kicking kids and just being obnoxious, he's like two tables down, and you guys are all just hanging out, and there's no po- there's no problem, there's no conflict because you're not going to mess up. That's your home base. You don't you don't mess around. You don't disrespect the diner. Exactly, because they the the, way, the waiters wore ties, and they, it really did invoke a feeling of authority. The loss of six brothers is pretty huge, I would say. Pretty On this podcast, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say. For people who love New Jersey, if you knew North Jersey, that diner going away is, it's a big loss. I've tried a couple of times to call the contractor or the company that's taking it apart just to see if I can get pieces of it. And I, I've gotten nowhere with this. And I'm, I'm like this close, this close to just breaking in. Um, I also never got to drink at the weird lounge downstairs I just never went. Remember, they had like an underground. Oh yeah, because it was multi-floor, right? I forget what it was called. It had its own awning, like a long black awning, and it was like a cocktail bar underneath Six Brothers. And I don't know if it was ever open, but I never went because it was, you know, I couldn't get hot chocolate and a, and a pizza bagel down there, mm-hmm. so I didn't go. Hot chocolate and a pizza bagel. Ooh, that's a teenage mix. Yeah, yeah man. I didn't like coffee. <laughs> Speaking of food. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to about someplace that I only got to go to a couple times at, at the tail end of its existence, but that you might have some fond memories of. Everyone knows Fountains of Wayne. Of course. Whether it's because of the band or the Sopranos episode where he goes there and confronts uh, Charles S. Dutton <laughs> in a great memorable scene, <laughs> or just because in North Jersey, you it was a huge, I mean, as far as navigating one of the trickiest to navigate highway mashups in pre-GPS era, Fountains of Wayne was the thing you referenced as far as where to turn and when. Mm-hmm. When you see Fountains of Wayne, you're making a right. You know, Make sure you turn before Fountains of Wayne. It was what we all talked about. But you might have thoughts on Fountains of Wayne. I would love to hear those. But another aspect of that exact stretch that's not talked about as much and a place that deserves to be remembered, a place that's in the great lineage of now really disappearing and dying out, charcoal... Oh. The Anthony Wayne. So, okay, your your first thought when you hear Charbroil House is Anthony Wayne. I think of that stretch. You got the DMV, you got Fountains yeah. of Wayne, you got the Anthony Wayne, and they're all right there together. Well, you had, for me, it was it was after you passed Coconuts, which is now a fortune off, you saw the signs for Lace the Gentleman's Club next to the DMV, then I think an Ethan Allen gallery, and then Fountains of Wayne and, and uh, the Anthony Wayne place. So I never went to Anthony Wayne. Oh, it was My, we were strictly, we were strict, because the stretch road I grew up on, you had two competing Charborough places. You had the Lantern and the Rascal House that were literally 50 feet away from each other the, on the same side of the highway. The Rascal House I'm not as familiar with. The Lantern was another very famous one. Same thing. They were both identical wooden structures with uh, the same menu and the same smell and the same everything. They just made burgers, dogs, fries, and chicken sandwiches and one had a lantern and one had not quite a smiley face the, it had like a weird almost grimace to it and they were the same place to, for the life of me I have no idea who, like how both of them could exist and my family was a lantern family my buddy JT's family was a Rascal House family and I remember having Rascal House once and going I don't know why there's war in the world because this is the same shit where we're fighting over nothing like this is nuts let's talk about these places and we should have one of our friends who writes about food come in mm. whether that's Jeremy Schneider, Pete Genovese, who actually just interviewed him earlier today. I'm not sure what order things are going to be released in, but these places have really started dropping and I think they're almost all gone. They, they, I know there was one up on 17, um, I'm blanking on the name, that just shut down as well. There was, uh, there was also Red Chimney, I guess Falls View kind of counts, but it's mostly hot dogs. Hot dog places. Falls View. Yeah. Yeah. You always finish the thought. Hot dog places are huge near you too. Hot dog places aren't dying at all. They're thriving and burger, like char, charbroil burger places are gone. So I, I, we're, we made up our mind. We're a hot dog and pizza state. And we used to have this other, we should talk about it. So these were huge parts of an era that was clearly car culture. Oh yeah. You're waxing your car, you're washing your car, you're going to these charbroil, these charbroil places, as you mentioned, they all had this vibe of heavy, dark wood. They all shared that. Anthony Wayne, Lantern, certainly the ones up on 17 for that Bergen County area. 
it was these like big old, they almost had like um, an Alpine aesthetic, yeah. like a German Bavarian dark wood, dark inside. And you could order greasy ass onion rings, fries. The burgers were all good. They tasted like the charcoal they were cooked with. They were generally like really thin. Yeah. Bunch of pickles. Yeah. Wooden boots. No, the only the only menu was behind the counter, and it was those plastic movable letters. There was no menus on the tables. There was always a cigarette machine. Um, there was always a kid getting a pack of smokes for his grandma, and that was yeah. There was always a cat running around in the backyard that you would feed your hot dog bun to. And there was always you could get soft drinks, you know, Coke or Pepsi, whoever they were contracted with. But then they'd also have like some weird orange drink or like a. F- it was always orange, yeah. Or like a fruit punch. Mm-hmm concoction with one of those machines that you would see it constantly running. They all had that too. Yeah. And those places were clearly from an era that was like 1960s, grab your fellas or grab your girl or grab your crew of girls whose car makes the loudest noise on the way into the parking lot. Who's got the flashiest decals. Like it was a car culture thing. And uh, those places are on their last leg. And it's sad to me. It is. But the irony of it is that the Lantern, <clears throat> which was this car culture place, kind of like throwback, but authentic. Like it wasn't trying to be old. It just was from that era. Yeah. That goes away. And what replaces it is a Sonic, which is trying to be that culture of drive-in, hang-out, kind of like car show kind of thing. And wait, where in um wait, where was that Sonic? We're not talking about the one up on the other side of the Willowbrook Mall there, are we? No, no, this is in Totowa where the Lantern stood. So right by the Riverview Drive exit, that Sonic used to be the Lantern. And then a few doors down yes. was the Rascal House, which is now a place, I think it's like 46 Lounge now. Yeah, oh, the 46 Lounge. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've always wondered what's going on in there. So that, Always wondering. That's normal. That 46 Lounge is just like a club. Do you remember what it was before it was 46 Lounge? No, what was it? Before, before I don't know if it's the, before it was 46 Lounge, it was a, someone's dream was to open this place and it was called Sports Sexy. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, 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 yes. I never went, never went. It wasn't quite a go-go bar. It wasn't quite a Hooters. It was just ladies not wearing a ton. And like, if you wanted, you could like, they, there was no, there was no dances. They would just hang out with you and talk to you while you ate and drank. That is so it was- <laughs> And the Hooters is right up the road. Right up the road. <laughs> to be a bootleg Hooters in the shadow of a Hooters is a sad state of affairs. I only went. I only went once, and it was not. I, so I can't speak for what. And I think I went towards it towards its demise, like towards the end. But I'm sure in the in the beginning it was all flash and shock and awe. But I did not see it in its glory days by any means. I went. and It was just like a tired, just annoyed bartender, and I was like, "This, I don't. You're, I'm bothering you by being here. I'm gonna go. I don't know what I thought this was." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to Ragtime under the bridge in Patterson, and that's where I'm going to act. Yeah, there you go. I also just looked it up. The place I was thinking of, the fireplace oh, yeah. closed in 2021. That was up in Paramus. And another yep. one, just wood, brick, mm-hmm. dark, thick wood tables. Yep. Food cooked with charcoal that just tastes like charcoal, but is somehow still really good. It's great. Those places will be missed. That also feels like a culture of food place that if they – you know, they're probably run by families or a small set of owners that have passed hands from time to time. The culture's changed. You said hot dogs at some point kind of caught this wave and this resurgence. They're back. We lost a few along the way, right? Like Libby's lunch didn't make it. Man. If Libby's lunch <laughs> could have hung on a couple more years, I bet there would have been a resurgence. It's same thing with these charbroil places. I bet something would have happened if they could have hung on that they would have gotten fucking cool again at some point, and they just couldn't make it. Yeah, I mean, well, Pappy's in Totowa uh, didn't make it. Pappy's was massive, and it's gone now. And then across- What was Pappy's? Pappy's Diner? I didn't know Pappy's. Pappy's in Totowa. On, on, oh, my God, right on Union Boulevard. That was the spot, because it was situated between the middle school and the elementary school. So if you had a half day, you were going to Pappy's. Uh, if you were, you know, that it was a big, big diner. Um, Uncle Floyd has a joke about it, where he says, if you're going to- I forget, <laughs> but it's, it's referenced in a lot. It's referenced in a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of things. It was like the diner in town, but towards the end, it was just a joke how crummy it got. Yeah. And now I think they're just sitting on it. It's just sitting there. And across the street from it is a tiny place called Totowa Hot Dogs. And I think I sent you this. They do a gold-wrapped hot dog. You did send me that. Gold-wrapped hot dog in Totowa. Yeah. There's something about that I hate. There's something about that I love. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's on the menu every day. I don't know what it costs. But yeah, you can go to Totowa to Totowa Hot Dogs and get a hot dog wrapped in gold leaf and then put in a normal bun. <laughs> Just... Do you put mustard on a gold hot dog? Oh, God. 
What do you do? Yeah, does that does that mean you don't taste the gold? What are we doing? What are we doing? Do? Do? But I'm glad they get the press. Sure. Another place I have to ask you about. You might know it, you might not. I had a memory of going to a place when I was very small with my family and our family friends, the Spatolas. Great North Jersey people, the Spatolas. I remembered going when I was a kid, it blew me away. In my mind, it had been at Fountains of Wayne. Mm -hmm. And then I was told, no, it wasn't there. And I could never remember where it was. And it was just this weird fever dream of a memory. And then a handful of years ago, I drove past it. And I was like, that's it. That's where I went. And I went in again. And I wish I had, because when I was little, four or five years old, it blew my mind. Older, I saw it more for what it was. And all the stuff hadn't been replaced. It was 30 years older. There's some sort of... Garden Depot Center, west of the mall, yeah. and they do this Winter Wonderland village around Christmas yeah. time. Yeah, Fair, Fairfield Home and Garden. That Winter Winter Wonderland. Does every kid go there when you grow up in Totowa? Yeah. Uh, not only do they go there, that is where um, my mom would take me, and I'd pose. They would have like Christmas trees, like inside, like the 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 silver ones, the fake ones, yeah. for sale. And that's where I would sit, and my mom would take a picture, and that was the Christmas card every year. Uh, so we do that, then. <laughs> I remember that you'd pay, and there was like, like old school, like turnstile to get in, and um, it was multi level. Like you were, in the, it was all dioramas, like plexiglass with like animatronic guy doing this, animatronic guy doing that, and then you got upstairs, and it was almost like there was a, a, a almost like a wooden drawbridge where you go over part of it, and some of these scenes had these grotesque child mannequins. That <laughs> yes, like, they didn't all move correctly, and some of them just their heads would just go, and their mouths were. Oh, like that, it was really weird. Uh, and they were like hanging <laughs> from the ceiling and swinging, and there was no real rhyme or reason to it. It was like a, it was, they were trying to emulate the Disney Small World thing, I think, but make it a Christmas thing. And I don't know if that's still around. Fairfield Home and Gardens is still around. Um, they also kill it on Halloween. Really? And Grandpa Munster was signing autographs there when I was in middle school and I got to meet him. Al Lewis. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I went probably. Yeah. Six or seven years ago, we were making, we used to do these Christmas episodes of the old public access show. Mm -hmm. And we were driving through New Jersey, and I was like, I, that's the place I went to when I was four or five years old. We're going in. And it's almost a vibe. It's not an unhappy thing. It's nice. It's little. It's a throwback to a time when people did things like that as a small business instead of letting all the corporate jerk offs handle yeah. the big things like that. But it almost has a feeling of like, imagine if the apocalypse happened. And you broke into Disney World and someone had just left It's a Small World on, yeah. but hadn't really swept up. Yeah, no, exactly. In a long time. It's got that vibe. Big time. And I, to this day, I've always wondered, who built this? Yes. Like, what maniac was like, you know what? I got this garden center. I sell Christmas trees. You know what kids like? Just, where did all the child mannequins come from? <laughs> yes. Who has filled motors in their heads and arms and stuff? Yes. <laughs> it was huge. But who, what, I've never seen anything similar to it. Like, you know, when you see something and you're like, oh, they, they got that from here, they got that from there. It, it was like nothing else. Like, it was all hand-built, but it was humongous. And it was multi-levels, and there was water. There was, like, water features and stuff in it. And it was on a second floor, so I can only imagine how heavy that was on the structure. Yes. Like, you really got, you're pot committed at that point, man. You built an entire yes. floor that's only open for, like, two months out of the year. Two months out of the year, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but at Fountains of Wayne, you could tell the changing of the seasons by how much of the giant Santa Claus was up because he came in pieces. So for like a week, you would just see the Santa Claus legs out yes. there. Yes. And no top to Santa. And then my dad would be like, ah, oh, it's almost winter. And Dude, then you are bringing back a memory that would have been dead in my brain forever. Seeing Santa's boots, just the boots, and then Santa's calves, just his legs, and then <laughs> Santa's knees. Yeah, and then around late January again, it would just be half of Santa, and then you'd be like, "Well, it's almost spring," and that was it. It was like the, it was like the rising tide, but it was the rising Santa Claus on Route Forty Six. Oh my God, I would have forgotten about that. They didn't take him apart in one day. It must have been just too much. That is the only truck. I don't know. An incredible memory. An incredible memory. Now. Another part of this ecosystem. I'm loving all this. So we mentioned before that from West Orange, there was an arc for back in the day and arcades are still a thing. People know what arcades are, but um, for younger listeners, you have to realize there was a time when home gaming systems 
could never be as powerful as what you see in an arcade. So for the really high level stuff, you were going to an arcade. Oh yeah. And when new fighting games came out, these were not things you got on home systems. Like when the new Tekken came out or the new Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or a lot of games that were designed, Dance Dance Revolution designed ambitiously that you had to go to a place to play it. You had to go and your Nintendo, your Sega Genesis, even your Nintendo 64, they couldn't quite keep up with the arcade. After that generation is when the gaming systems at home started to be really viable, you know, Um, and people know this, but for younger listeners, they might not understand that for teenagers who were nerds who liked games, there weren't many of these arcades and fun and games was a beacon for the whole area, whole area. And this is your home turf. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, and I worked at Willowbrook and I, before I worked at Willowbrook, I from the age as, as early as my parents would let me, I would go to Willowbrook by myself and walk around with my friends or by myself, either with my buddies or whatnot. So every weekend I was getting dropped off at that mall as early as I could. And I would hang out until it closed. And if the, it was almost like a, like, you know, if, if Willowbrook was a bar or a club, Fun and Games was an after-hours place because Fun and Games was open to one, yes. one in the morning. Yes. Every night, one a.m. Mall's done at nine thirty, ten o'clock, and then everyone comes out that one exit, and then you just—that's where you stay. It had its own entrance, Fun and Games, right? Own entrance, yeah. Two door, two or three doors on the outside. But you mentioned um, like Champion Gamers came out of that. Like one of my friends was a Soul Caliber champion, and he would just be there practicing, and we would just watch him destroy on Soul Caliber. I had one friend that lost like. 50 60 pounds playing dance dance revolution we would just go watch our friends dance on a pad or play a fighting game for hours at a time and it was weird because the guys that ran it you could smoke in there too there i was just gonna fucking ask i have this weird memory of indoor smoking at fun and games vending machines cigarette machine you could smoke inside and like the guys that work there like if you hung out the mall enough, you knew all the security guards. You knew the guys that worked here. You worked there. For some reason, the guys that worked fun and games they were referee jerseys. Yes, they were, they were the only crew in the mall that like we never really made friends with. But they also never bothered anybody. They just existed, and they were like not part of the fun. But they also didn't. They weren't like regular adults that would tell you to like go away or do. It was weird. They were just sort of like they, it didn't seem real. Uh, and they had a place to go until one a.m. and then diner. Can I put this out here? And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I had many nights spent at Fun and Games. And to be clear, a trip to the Willowbrook Mall was one thing. A trip to Fun and Games felt like a different thing. It felt like a different thing. And, and I'll say this. I grew up in an era where we were all nervous all the time and skittish. And there was satanic panic and, and weird, this constant looming threat of watch your own back. But it doesn't change my memory. And you can tell me, was this my anxiety or was this real? There were a lot of nights at fun and games where it was fun and there were games and it was what it said it was. There were other nights where that place could take on a tone where it felt like the most fucking dangerous place in New Jersey. True or false? Well, okay. In the middle of the winter when the parking lot is empty and it's the only thing open for a mile in any direction and there's everyone from high school kids to guys in their 30s hanging out in the same place. Yeah, it's skeevy as shit. And there were people, I remember a car pulling up once and the door opened and like in a, like in a cartoon, just beer cans fell out, like in an eighties, like teen comedy. Uh, it was, it was nuts. You had all these people, you had like, it'd be one in the morning. There's like a 12 year old kid murdering at Tekken. And then there's just a bunch of guys outside probably selling weed and drinking and just hanging out. It was real weird. Like looking back, I'm like, I was 13 or 14 years old. There were like 25 year old punk rock dudes hanging out there. I'm like, you guys are lame now. I'm like looking back, yeah. like, what were you doing? But it also, you got to remember the culture of gaming is that like, it wouldn't be shocking. It would be, it would be disturbing on some level. It would be concerning, but it would not be shocking mm-hmm. to see like a legitimate 36, 37 year old man yeah. flip out and start screaming at a 13 year old of like, why do you all, you only fucking pick E Honda. Yep. You only fucking pick E Honda. It's a fucking bitch move. Like you would see a flip out. Yeah. You would see a gaming meltdown. And sometimes it was some of these like teen or even preteen <laughs> prodigy gamer kids. Yep. And they would sometimes have like a, almost like a crew to protect them. Yeah. From older guys. Definitely. I remember this pretty vividly. Definitely. Yeah, everybody kind of ran in a click. It was weird. But a lot of, a lot of like, 
man, I know a ton of people that either became pro gamers out of there or because of the culture and atmosphere of it. The only things open at that point were either arcades or pool halls. Yeah. I know a bunch of people from fun and games, that whole crew became like pro pool players too. That's fascinating in its own right. Which is weird. That was another one, man. Breakers, Breakers and Clifton was like the spot. Yeah. Fun and games had that vibe of like, there might be a weird older guy there who flips out when he loses about anything. Mm-hmm. Or you might have like a real young prodigy kid who's yeah. really good at certain games. And that kid might have like protection from slightly older kids who will cave your skull in with a skateboard if you fuck with that little kid. Yeah. Like it had both elements of danger. A lot, I remember there being that element of just those skaters from back in the day who didn't necessarily care if they fucking went to jail tonight. That was, there was this element of skateboard kids and they were at fun and games a lot. Those, we don't care if we live or die skaters. Yeah. And those were, but those were never, you want to talk ecosystem. Those guys weren't, they were from an outside system because I, for the most part, everyone kind of kept each other else in check. Yes. Whenever something did go on or something did turn ugly, it was always with a crew that wasn't, regular to there it would be like who the fuck was that guy like we didn't know that like you know some like three jerks show up one night and just start teasing everybody and then a fight breaks out it's like well we don't know that guy he's certainly not coming back so it would never it had a way of like maintaining itself by like no one wants to get kicked out of here this is our only place to hang out if someone does cause a problem they're not going to come back anyway so it, it sort of managed itself in that respect i never got i never got really fucked with at the mall but i i was I was there a lot, so I don't know. I do have to ask, and I'm not trying to force you into telling any specific stories, but I will say, you have told me in prior conversations that you worked at the Jose Tejas, that you consider the western border of this the, uh, of this Passaic Valley empire. The Tejas? And the Tejas. Mm-hmm. To work in a place that is part of your home ecosystem mm-hmm. also means... There's people you know, like you're sometimes waiting on your friends and their parents or like people who graduated your high school two years prior. Or a college. That's always a weird, what's that? Our college professor after I graduated. You have served this man fried cheese at a Tejas. I had a speech teacher, I had a public speaking teacher in college who I shit you not had a stutter. (laughs) (laughs) A year after graduation, I served him and his kid. He didn't, he didn't look up. He didn't look up. You want to talk ecosystem, Tejas, for, we're, we're talking 2005 and six. You talk about people from all walks of life, just, you know, in a boil, in a pressure cooker together. I had, you want to talk people who are 18 to 45 from, from some of them drove an hour. One guy drove from Pennsylvania to like work in the kitchen. It was, and we were all, we all hung out the hula hands next door afterwards. Everybody. Like you're telling me the people who worked at the Tejas hung out at the Hands. Did the Hands people hang out at the Tejas? No, the Hands people, because Hands closed later than us. So we would all go to Hands after Tejas closed. We'd hang out with them, and then we would go to Pub 46 on Route 40. Not to be confused with 46 Lounge, Pub 46, um, which was basically just a fist bumping. And every night ends with living on a prayer, just a lot of goombas, a lot of, a lot of white lip liner. A lot of crazy, and somehow, and always a cop car parked outside because he knows he's going to catch a couple Deweys. Uh, just a mess, a mess of a night from my Tejas. And also, I didn't realize this until after I quit Tejas. Um, I'd been going, I'd, I would work, and I would change in my car, and then go out. And I didn't realize this until after I'd quit, where I was still like hanging out with my friends that worked there. We stunk like shit after working at Tejas. You're serving fajitas all day. You literally smell like onions and spice. Like you just smell disgusting. Like yeah, I mean, I, we had no idea. We're just going out, not knowing. I love knowing that all those restaurant workers are meeting up. Oh, we every night, every night. Friends to this day, some of them. Are there other restaurants that were known for having? Like, are you guys like, oh, the guys down from that IHOP down by uh, Forty Six Lounge? Don't mess with those IHOP guys. Ah. Or the Hooters? I mean, Hooters is right there too. Yeah, I, I don't know where the where the Hooters folks hang. I knew the Hula Hans crew. And I knew a couple people from the TGI Fridays on 46 that's now a place called Tommy's. Other than that, they were all like part of this weird Patterson art collective. Other than that, I didn't know of any other restaurant crews. Tejas was kind of an anomaly. Like it was kind of a, there, people stuck around for a while. Like there was a slow, there was a low turnover and we were all friends. It was really, I look back on that place very fondly. I love it. 
and I will say there's a story you have about the Tejas. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not gonna. I actually don't think you should tell it here because I don't think no. it's the venue for it. But you need to start telling it on stage, sure. or film it, or something. You know yeah. the one I'm talking about, and I'm just gonna say, yeah. I'm just gonna say because sure. our fans are get. You've done our live shows for a long time and kind of became this big part of New Jersey as the world. Somehow became a big part of the podcast without ever being on mic. <laughs> became like a member of our of our collective without ever being on mic. But I'm just going to say, if you're a fan of this thing and you ever have the pleasure of finding yourself in a room where Nick Fierro has a few minutes to spare, just go up to him and say, any chance you could tell me about the goose? And I am telling you, you will enjoy one of the most fine few minutes of storytelling. But now is not the time or place. Oh, of course. Of course. We'll, f- we'll find another time or place. Um, I want to bring up something, and I. this has been very funny, as y- you always know how to push my buttons in a way that makes me laugh. I want to be very clear. I want to ask about a part of this ecosystem that I, I want to be clear, I'm not making fun of, because it's a touchy thing, but you'll have some opinions on. Okay. A lot of these stretches that are defined by highways, even places further west on 46, like when you get up towards Parsippany, or I'm thinking of when you go on 23 North, there's certain areas... Um, all over different highways like this, these sort of commercial highways of New Jersey, you will very often also see, oh, there's an apartment complex right on the highway. And you live in North Jersey long enough to know that there is a shorthand that a lot of us grew up with apartment kids. Mm-hmm. Those kids, sometimes there's a very sort of very, very weird thing in this densely packed state where we learn how to read all this coded class-based stuff in North Jersey. Sure. West Orange, you certainly, you knew if someone was from up the hill or down the hill. Well, if you're down from down the hill, uh, are you going to Redwood or Washington or Hazel? We all know what that means in West Orange. If you're going to Washington, uh, which side of Colgate Park do you live on? You start to learn these things. And for a lot of North Jersey town, the phrase apartment kids means these are people, you know, maybe this is a town where a lot of people own their homes. These families don't. Maybe... A lot of these kids maybe don't start out in that school system. Maybe their families move there and they join in third or fourth grade. These are just broad cliches, but that a lot of people go, I know exactly what you're talking about. And in a lot of these stretches where there's ecosystems, the people who live closest to the highway, it denotes this sort of classist coded thing. But I would say there's a very, very interesting aspect of this particular ecosystem, which is that you don't see these complexes or houses that butt up against the highway like you do even on the other stretches of 46 in some areas. But what you do see are these stretches that I don't know the name for them. And I I don't want to say the wrong thing. And maybe there's a name for them that people in these towns use, but what you see instead of the apartment kids here mm-hmm. are river houses. Yes. Uh, yeah. All up and down these highways. I know, and I didn't even grow up there, and I know of at least three different little areas yep. where people live really, really close to rivers in flood zones mm-hmm. all up and down this stretch. Yep. Is that a class, socio-class defining aspect of living in this area? Uh, I never I never saw it as a class thing because uh, I, had, I had friends that lived on on the river, on the Pacific River, it was more of a, um, no, I, never a class thing, just always sort of a, how, like, how did this, clearly it didn't always behave like a flood zone. It's, but I know people in West Patterson, Little Falls, and Totowa that live by the water whose homes have been destroyed numerous times. And these aren't, I mean, it, the gamut runs from low income to upper middle class. And it's just one. Yeah, of it, that's one of the strange things. It's not. It's not a class. It's not necessarily that all the houses are like smaller than the other. There are some houses in there that are the same type of ranch hounds. You'd find a few neighborhoods over. They're just in flood zones. I also know, I mean, up on the other side of the mall, Two Bridges Road, oh. there's a whole stretch Works. right near there. Works. I wrote a weird New Jersey story about encountering a guy back there. And then also, you'll remember this, Nick. A very strange thing that even a lot of North Jersey people are just too busy driving to notice, but I bet you'll know exactly what I know I'm talking about. There is one stretch of houses like this in Little Falls, but where there's actually a somewhat secret turnoff from the parking lot area of the Willowbrook complex. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. you can cut through the woods and be back in one of these little, yeah. I don't want to say compounds because that almost makes it sound like it was planned in sinister fashion, but I don't think it is. I think there's something very interesting sociologically about these places and they 
I don't, I, I imagine they exist elsewhere, but there's all these clusters of them in the exact six brothers up through Fairfield stretch we're talking about yeah. in a way that I don't know exists elsewhere. Yeah. For a place that's not really, I mean, other than the Pacific river, there's not a ton of water around us and it all floods like crazy. Uh, and, and, uh, Totowa sort of is, it gets lucky cause geographically it's a little bit higher in most areas, but it still gets pretty bad near the water. Little West Patterson just gets destroyed. West, like it's just the part that's not the hill by Gara Mountain by McBride Ave area just gets wrecked every year. And it's, it's everybody. It's, it's all the houses, all the businesses. It's just, I, I, I it is a phenomenon, but I, I don't think it's necessarily tied to, to, to class. Cause it's, everybody's kind of bailing out their basements in unison. Yeah. It strikes me as there's, and I, I might be totally wrong about it. Like some of the, culture of this that we're talking about is there are some stretches of towns like this. And I know in West Orange, I'm thinking of one apartment complex that was a few blocks from my house where it was kind of like, okay, those people probably make a little less money working class people and their families rent it here so they could go to a school. They probably moved from nearby towns like Irvington, East Orange, Mm -hmm. saved up renting an apartment here to get their kids into this school system and those kids join like second or third grade. You'd see that a lot. And I, I, I was wondering, and I don't that you, and you know what, there's a word I've always seen and it used to be on some businesses in the little falls area. You might be able to tell me more about it. It seems like it used to be its own thing a little more. Singak. Singak. Yeah. Singak. That's kind of a section of little falls, right? I always associated that with four, the four corners area by 20. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's Singak. Um, I believe we have a mutual friend. Um, I think it was Andy Partridge who in the, Oh yeah. The G, uh, the Gotch wrestling coalition days. Uh, I think he was the, not the menace of Singak, but the something of Singak that was his, like the bread man, it was like his nomaker. And I, but it, yeah, Sinyak to me was like, I don't know where the boundary of that is or the borders of Sinyak are, but it's that 23 area when you're going past Holy Angels, right past the Hooters. But before you hit the 7 Eleven, that is the most Jersey thing I think I've said this podcast. But, <laughs> and some, yeah, I mean, that's, I, yeah, I live for these conversations. But some of those houses up in Sinyak are, are like, oh, you can look at these, you can drive by for 10 seconds and go, Oh, that must flood when it oh, yeah. drizzles. Oh, yeah. It's on the river. On the river. And yeah, and it, that was connecting it back to Fairfield and that stretch of road. There's that one road that goes past Nico's Tavern that will eventually bring you back to 46. That road always, There's always, always flooded. A bun- yep. Fairfield, which is a little bit, I wouldn't say like a shishi town, but there's some, that's, yeah. you start to get upper middle class in a big way and maybe even beyond in Fairfield, but yeah. there is a stretch that's right there in a flood zone too. And those kids get to go to West Essex high school. And I think that that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fairfield's a nice, you can tell Fairfield's nice because there is actually a Hollywood and Vine intersection in Fairfield. Like, I don't know who they thought they were kidding, but that exists. Now, can um, I tell you a secret and let's be honest to God. Have you and I ever discussed that the fact that there is a Hollywood and Vine in Fairfield, New Jersey before. Have you and I discussed this? I don't think we have. Have we? We have never. I don't think we have. Nick, my family used to live on Vine. What? I got, I got, that was my turn. I got tutored in math for my SATs on right by that corner. Uh, right by the Anthony P. Acosta Library, <laughs> which I will tell you, you'll love it. Fairfield's also a weird outlier in this because all the towns we're talking about are Passaic County. Yeah. But Fairfield's a part of this ecosystem, and that's the western edge of Essex County. Essex, yeah. Fairfield is weird because like one half of it feels like Passaic County and the other half feels like Morris County and it doesn't, but it does still in some ways feel like Essex County. Fairfield may be the only interesting thing about Fairfield, if you ask me, I don't know. is that aspect of it. Maybe. It's, it's also a good deli, a good deli up there off of uh, Clinton Road, Horseneck Road. Um Man, yeah, I used my family used to live on Vine Street in Fairfield. So that Hollywood and Vine thing. There was a WestEssex.net message board back in the day. It's like local townspeople used to post on it. And we got to Rutgers and my family had just moved to Fairfield. And then we very randomly befriended a bunch of punk kids who were all from uh, Fairfield and North Caldwell. And they were they went to West Essex. They were nice normal kids who went to this, you know, North Caldwell, very ritzy part of Essex County, but they were like nice, chill, normal kids. And we started terrorizing WestEssex.net. And my, my brother was trolling it hard. (laughs) And it got to a point too, where, um, 
like my, we were freshmen in college at the time. And one of my friends who was a part of this, his girlfriend was a year younger than him, was still in West Essex and, and told us there was an active investigation to find out which high school kids were trolling westessex.net. People were getting called into the office. <laughs> it was us. We were down in New Brunswick doing it. <laughs> and my brother once posted a post that inexplicably sent them into a rage and made them shut it down. And all it said was, who is Anthony Piacosta? Why does he get a library? Can I have a library? I like books. And for some reason, that one was the straw that broke the camel's back and made them close down westessex.net. You shut down a message board? The message board was shut down because of our shithead shenanigans 20 years ago. And if anyone listening to it was mad at us then, you had every right to be, and I am sorry, but... We posted a lot of antagonistic stuff, and for some reason, the sort of not that, not that antagonistic. Who is Anthony Piacosta, and why does he get a library post? Was the final straw where they were like, "I'm done with this shit." That's good. The early internet was so trusting, and it didn't take much to just uproot it. And they're like, "Oh, uh, just have a nice message board, and that'll be nice." And someone's like, "Well, it'll be a shame if someone shit on it." Here we yeah, go. <laughs> but there was also an era where that was because I was a little bit of a troll back in the mm-hmm. day. I'm not necessarily proud to say it, but there was also something that felt like a you're on your way to finding a creative outlet and you're looking for it desperately thing. And this isn't going to necessarily lead to all of us storming the Capitol. Cause that type of trolling that I was doing 25, 30 years ago as a young BBS into prodigy, into AOL, into early internet days has now, I see the through line from like me fucking with Yahoo chat rooms and, and guest books on bands, web pages. To actually now that same culture of trolling is let's storm the Capitol. Let's 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 find Nancy Pelosi. That's what it now leads to. It's wild. Uh, the thin line between fantasy and reality. Oh, boy. Well, listen, this has been a dream conversation of mine. Are there any major tent poles, whether it's other businesses, meeting places, landmarks, cultural aspects of this stretch of road that I'm missing here from an insider. There is one thing I, I brought it up to you and I think Mike uh, in the past, and you didn't know either. So this is to anybody that was growing up in the Totowa area. And I only witnessed this in Totowa, not Little Falls or West Patterson, Totowa between the years of like 1994 five to maybe 98, there was a phone number you would call. And the phone number, no one ever picked up, but there was a voice, a voicemail would, would answer, an answering machine would pick up. What? And it was an old man's, an old man's voice, and his name was Stu. And Stu, uh, the, it would change every month. And depending on which month it was, Stu would have composed a song, and the message, his, his voicemail was just him singing a song about that month. Whether it was June, I think June, it was like an old vaudevillian type voice. So you're like, eh, and he would sing a song about a lady named June, or in May it was a lady named May, or in October it was a si- And I lost the number years ago because I just had it on speed dial on a touchtone phone, and that phone is long gone. And no one except for one of my friends remembers this, and it was real. So if anybody out there remembers Stu or has that number or knows what the heck was going on with that guy, because he never picked up. What? Never picked up. Let uh, One kid would always be like, oh, yes, I talked to Stu. He picked up. You didn't. You didn't, Bernie. You didn't talk to him. He never picked up. That was the whole shtick. Do you remember how you first found the number? Was it just my best friend? My best friend had the number. It was like it circulated amongst school kids. Like kids just had this number. They call this number. And this it was just funny and weird. It would know it was inexplicable. No one knew what it was. And and it was a total a number. Uh, I believe. I mean, no, at the time, oh, it was at the time before before you had to put the area codes in. That's how long ago this was. So it could have been a two, five, six number. It could have been a seven, eight, five. I don't know. It, it, I didn't know at the time. Oh, God damn it, Nick. Tail end of the episode, and you're going to make us solve the mystery of Stu? I got to put it out there, man. Someone's got to remember. Who was Stu? Stu? I don't know if it was S-T-U or S-T-E-W, but Stu. Oh. Monthly voicemails always. And then I remember the. I remember I tried to hit the, the speed dial on my phone and try to figure out from the tones which number it was and tried to decipher it that way, and I couldn't. Like, this number's been lost to me for 20-something years. We gotta find somebody else who remembers Stu. Mm, that's it. That's that's the one. That's my red herring. That's my white whale. That's. Oh, I might need to email Mark and Mark and ask them about that too. That might they might know. That would make my life. <laughs> All right, we're gonna. Oh God, 
damn it, we're ending on a cliffhanger. The mystery of Stu. Maybe talking Totowa episode three will be everything we've been fa- able to find out about Stu between now and then. Or who knows? Maybe we'll just, you know, <laughs> ramble more about graveyards and hot dog places and all the other things that make mistakes. I got, we have plenty to go on there. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Nick, you're the best. Anything you want to plug coming up? This will be out in the next few weeks. Any places you want people to find you? Things, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. Yeah, uh, Shtick Fierro on all platforms. And uh, yeah, I'm around all summer. I'm just doing shows, doing weird shit. I love it, man. I'm around, I'm around all summer as the plug. That's the best. <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World. <laughs>